FASWA is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit sasswhat.com. This is Sasswhat, a podcast about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined tonight by my pal, Mark Matsky. Greetings from Southeast Ohio, the white-haired Bigfoot capital of the nation. That uh, is a fact. It is. Stone-cold fact. Um, yep. And tonight we are talking about science. The science. S- the scientific method um a scientific approach to bigfoot hunting before we do that we got a letter did i did you get that letter i forwarded it to you i did yes okay do you want to sure read did. it so i don't have to yeah. <laughs> yeah let me pull it up all right um yeah so you'll probably notice a slight change of format we're going to be or not format but uh sound recording stuff like that we're trying to fool around with using a different uh recording method due to my ongoing struggles with google so hopefully um, we can maintain the quality without dealing with the uh, ridiculousness that has been going on <laughs> lately with Google. But for those of you who watched um, YouTube uh, casts of the show, those will probably be a thing of the past. And I'll, if if we switch to this new way of recording, I think uh, we're probably going to use just a completely different recording method. Um, so if you were a fan of the show on YouTube, it's probably not going to happen anymore. Um, the only thing I can tell you about YouTube is we're still, I still want to do some sort of Sasquatch video show and I will be saying this all summer, I guess, but (laughs) I, I, I want to do it eventually and, uh, it'll happen as soon as I get a little bit of free time. Um, you know, we're trying to make three movies by the end of the summer or two movies, two more movies by the end of the summer. So this time next year, we're going to have three movies done. So it's going to be a really busy summer. Um, You're just giving me time to lose weight. Yeah. I think, Yeah, which is, you know, considerate of you really. I appreciate that. Camera adds five pounds, right? (laughs) Yeah. So there must be five cameras on me. All right. No, (laughs) no. All right. Um, yeah, let's, let's read this letter. Okay. It's very good. And it's, in depth, it's a continuation, really, of uh, something that we addressed at, on the last episode. It says, "Hey guys, thanks so much for answering my question on the air. That was a very cool surprise on my Monday commute in, doing my usual Sasquatch podcast. <laughs> listen, it does brighten those dreary Monday mornings. I want to apologize for erring on the facts of that book. I haven't clearly read it. That was a very strange theorem to be working from. I can't say I really get it. And as an aside, right there, I would say that's why we didn't get it either." And that's why we were as adamantly confused by the premise as we were, is because of what he says, which uh, just to review, that's the all casts are fakes um, statement. All right. As an aside, and forgive me if I've mentioned this in the past year or so while working at my current job, I've been listening to endless amounts of Bigfoot slash crypto podcasts with Dogman Encounters being the most intriguing. I'm fortunate enough to have a job where I can listen to such things while working. The reason I got into this topic, though I do listen to many other variants of podcasts, is because of the persons involved, not the monsters per se. I find those persons endlessly fascinating. The whys of their encounters are almost always enumerated in their retelling. It is amazing to me how often a traumatic or life-changing 
big and classical or small and tangential event has taken place to that person. It only makes sense to imagine an illusory world when the real world you inhabit has become too horrific to endure. Without getting into that working theory of mine, there's one bit of hope I do hold out. I'll say this. I am 99.99% sure that Bigfoot can't possibly exist. For the reasons stated above and the all-too-prevalent misidentifications, I really and sincerely doubt its existence. However, every once in a great while, you do hear an encounter story that just seems very hard to deny. Actually, the NAWAC guys are the most believable of all. Not the rock-throwing or tree-knocking, but the rifle scope, shots-fired encounters that have happened a half-dozen times. There's other great encounters I've heard over the past year, too. My question is two-part, and please excuse the prolixity with which it took to get here. Feel free to edit down as necessary. Uh, number one, what are the best, most sincere sighting encounter stories you've heard? Number two, what makes for a perfect witness slash encounter slash situation? Is that latter part having to include an authority figure trained in observation, perhaps with a biology background within the field study work of great apes even? How far would it go to be the perfect witness, perhaps one permissible in the Bigfoot court? Hope you guys are well. Keep up the great work. Alex. Wow. Um, yes. That yes. was, uh, if you guys could have only seen Mark reading that letter, his hands <laughs> were going, he was into it. It was like was he was freestyle it. rapping. That's what it looked like. <laughs> right. He actually dropped a mic uh, when, it, right. when it was done. And so, crossed my arms. Yeah. That's pretty unbelievable. B-boy stance. Right. Yes. Uh, what are the best, most sincere sighting encounter stories you've heard? Jeez. Um, Mark, uh, best, most... I mean, the Patterson-Gimlin yeah. film and story, to me, has always seemed very sincere. Um, and I realize there's, you know, a thousand different explanations for what was going on there, and everyone's got a theory, and... People are like violently opposed in that argument, um, but I've always thought the Patterson Gimlin is is a great story, and yeah. um, I well, am. You and, you and I have both had the opportunity to hear Bob Gimlin a couple of times in person, and I think that you talk about sincerity; it just comes through in his demeanor and stuff, and it's one of the reasons why it's still compelling to people. It's to hear him tell it there's no artifice there is no embellishment it's just straightforward um salt of the earth guy telling you what happened yeah um by the way for some reason i realize mark's sound stinks right now it's it's my fault it's on my end again we're gonna have these types of problems while we're switching over to the new uh, recording format. So next episode will be better. I would actually just stop the show and re-record, except I'm in a hurry this week. As I said, I actually leave for New York this coming weekend. So we got to get this episode in the can so I can get it up uh, because after tonight, I'm not going to have any time. Uh, I'm trying to think of another, like we've talked so much about like classic encounter stories. I, I'm a big fan of the Norwalk ape story, um, which is this like posse of hunters that, rambled around Ohio trying to catch the Norwalk ape and the Norwalk ape was this upright walking huge bipedal creature. I use it all the time when we do our uh, Bigfoot in Ohio lectures. Um, it's got newspaper articles to back it up. It's got a photo of the posse. It seems to be legit to me, at least on the surface. Um, even, you know, given the questionable nature of some of those old newspaper articles, this one seems to be pretty cool. Um, 
so I don't know if you would call that an encounter story, but it starts off on, with an encounter story and then kind of goes haywire. I guess the you know the Minerva monster story, and not just because I made a movie about it, but the, the Minerva story always struck a chord with me, and that was why I um, got so in, passionate about making that into a film. Um, NAWAC, the Area X stuff, especially Kathy Strain's encounter, um, her sighting of the creature running up the hill with the arms pumping in the air the way she described it i've always thought that was a a really fascinating physical trait to describe and so yeah any other mark i can't think of any specific ones but i i will say that i'm always a little bit more interested in hearing somebody when they begin their account by saying that they they did not believe in bigfoot or they actively disbelieved and i don't know there's something about that that i think um we talked on the last episode about how you can still fool people by appearing to be authentic. But at the same time, I think uh, probably the vast majority of people don't really consider it a possibility in the first place Mm -hmm. or they may actively disbelieve. So to go from, you know, it's always that move to go from disbeliever to somebody who had an inexplicable encounter that they're, you know, my ears are open at that point. I'm, I'm really interested not only in what they saw, but what it took for them to go from someone who said, there's no way that that can exist to saying, this is what I saw and I'm sure of it. And you can't talk me out of it. That always catches my attention. Um, what makes answer for, to num- sorry, what? Oh, go ahead. Well, what makes for a perfect witness encounter yeah. situation? Yes, uh, this kind of runs into what we talked about last week, which is, I don't know. I don't know that there's a perfect witness, but, I will say that someone I know, <clears throat> especially someone who I've maybe had interaction with before uh, any kind of Bigfoot discussion is ever had, um, if they have some sort of sighting, I tend to take it more seriously or, or if it's someone I, I trust and know. Um, I have a friend who I go to church with who said she saw something two miles from here. Um, and despite the fact that she is a, a Bigfoot believer and she's a big a, a Bigfoot fan, I do believe she saw something because she she's uh, from at least from, you know, my times, you know, around her. And I've spent a lot of time hanging out with her and I know kind of her. I actually know her and her character. She's not a liar that I've seen. And I don't really know what she would have to gain, you know, from telling me that she had an encounter when she didn't. I'm not saying she couldn't have misidentified something, but I don't think she would have actively lied. So I think for me, a perfect witness, I don't know if that exists, but I do like... I mean, if my dad told me he saw a Bigfoot, no, you know what? My dad, I, I, I would have to, I would have to question as well because my dad is, re- he really wants to see a Bigfoot. So I think I'd have mm-hmm. to go with like my mom. Well, I think my mom <laughs> would be the perfect Bigfoot witness. <clears throat> you know, I think that that's the first Sasswood video show right there mm-hmm. is putting your mom in situations where she might actually see a bigfoot yeah that'd be good stuff we'll take her um, out you know on a, yeah. on a on a night hike yes exactly uh my answer to number two about the perfect witness encounter situation historically the first thing i thought of when reading that question was william Rowe, and uh, the reason being that it was a daytime sighting that lasted a pretty long time he was really very close to the creature allegedly and he had at least some training in being an outdoorsman and an, an observer of nature. And, you know, that's sort of the first 
the very first thing that I flashed to when I when that question was asked, and it just seems like that's pretty unbeatable. I mean, somebody with some credentials in in nature identification, a daytime prolonged sighting where you can observe the creature pretty much unnoticed um, and not having them run off. So I, that, that's sort of what occurred to me first. All right. So um, you want to talk. I want, I want to get into this because this was your topic suggestion. And this is how we do things. It says what one of us makes a, a topic suggestion <laughs> and then we do the minimum amount of research possible to talk about that topic. So take us there, Mark. Okay. Well, this really was born out of at least one letter that we've received recently. And I believe that the the comment was made in one of those letters that it was a a professor or educator of some sort who used the, the Bigfoot hypothesis to teach the scientific method to their students. Did you remember reading that stuff somewhere? Yes, in our it was. Our we it was in a letter, and I, I think we read it in the last episode. Yeah, yeah. So that really got me thinking about uh, the scientific method and how it relates to Bigfoot research. And you know, just about any time you go to an event and you listen to uh, various members of groups and so forth, you know, they will claim that they go about the study of the Sasquatch in a scientific manner. Now, it's very easy to say, and anybody can say that who's going out into the woods can claim we're doing this, quote unquote, scientifically. But it made me wonder and raise the question. That's why I wanted to talk about it today is, you know, how scientific is it really when you sort of take a look at the stereotypical methods used by Bigfoot researchers, uh, quote unquote, is it scientific or is it something else? Is it, um, you know, simply gathering data? Or is it just doing things that are kind of cool and fun to see what happens? Uh, because all of those are, I think, fall under the umbrella today of Bigfoot research. But if you make the claim that you're doing this scientifically, I think it's intellectually fair that you're actually being scientific about it. And an, another place that this reminded me of right away was Tom Powell's The Locals. Uh, in the very last chapter of that book, he gets into and talks about his own classroom experiences of teaching the scientific method to uh, middle school students and letting them use the Bigfoot subject as a way of going about um, evaluating things from a truly scientific perspective. So real quick, just to review the uh, six steps of the scientific method. Uh, Number one is identify specific questions related to the problem at hand. Number two, propose an answer to one of those questions in the form of an educated guess. Number three, formulate a hypothesis, that is, state the educated guess in such a way that it can be tested. Number four, predict the outcome of the test in the event that the hypothesis is correct. Number five, test the hypothesis by analysis or experimentation to see if the hypothesis is correct. And number six, reject or revise the hypothesis if the prediction is wrong. Now, I think... As I dealt with that information and was reminded of it, the thing that I have questions about and where I think that there is some things lacking in Bigfoot research, such as it is, is the idea of the the forming of the hypothesis and the, the predicting the outcome and then testing it. You know, what I see happening is a lot of people gathering data, or in other words, you know, trying to find tracks 
trying to find hair samples and scat samples and things of that nature. Uh, but what was their working hypothesis? What were they trying to test on the basis of that? And so these, these are some of the open questions that I, I have and, and I'm interested, Seth, to hear your perspective on that because then when you start talking about things like tree knocking and making calls and getting call responses, you know, what, what was the prediction? What was the test? You know, what did you hope to achieve by doing that? And see this, this is (laughs) that right there is like where my biggest problem with the Bigfoot and Bigfooting in general lies. And I may make some enemies with some of this. So I'm not trying to offend anyone. And I totally get, it's a lot of fun going out in the woods at night and trying to have some kind of interaction with a, a giant monster in the woods. I totally get it. I've I've done it with my dad. Like we've we've gone out in the woods and done that kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, so much of the Bigfoot community, especially people who take themselves very seriously, at heart they are no different from the guys that go to like the Mansfield Reformatory or whatever and try to have an encounter with a ghost at night to spook themselves out. There's no, there is no hypothesis at work. There's no scientific method being. Uh, acted upon it's all about let's have a spooky night in the woods it is in my opinion most big footing that i've seen is glorified ghost hunting it's trying to have an encounter with uh, uh, not even an encounter it's about spooking yourself out i don't even know how often how many of these people actually think they're really going to have an encounter based on what they're doing and and i know we're both we've talked a lot about finding Bigfoot on the show and the pros and cons of that show. And, and we both think there's a lot of pros to that show, but I think that show is probably uh, part of the problem, especially with younger people um, because that's the whole deal there. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I've said, I've talked to Brian Brown a little bit about the BFRO and the BFRO claims to be a scientific organization. Well, their name is all over finding Bigfoot as I mean, it is all over finding Bigfoot. And I know that some of them, try to distance themselves from it. And well, this isn't a, a BFRO show. It's, it's a finding Bigfoot show. And it's, it just so happens that there's a ancillary connection there and that Matt moneymaker is on the show. Um, mm-hmm. But it's in every title sequence. Though. Exactly. It's, <laughs> it is if, and if your organization is connected to finding Bigfoot where the scientific method isn't being utilized at all, and you're claiming to be a scientific organization that creates a problem. Um, but I got, that's kind of a rabbit trail. I, this is like, this is like one of those discussions that I have a hard time with because I see both sides of the argument, like the scientific method, it, a lot of, not a lot of times, but it seems like, uh, it is a, for some skeptics, it is a crutch. Like you're not utilizing this. Are you utilizing the scientific method here? Um, someone sees, so it's, okay. Just an example. Someone sees a Bigfoot in area X. All right, they're walking down a hill. They see a Bigfoot run up the side of the hill or something. When they post about that on a forum, it becomes, well, how was the, the scientific method utilized here? What was the theory you were working from? Do you have any, you know, and then it becomes this back and forth argument. To me, a, a lot of times skeptics use it as a crutch. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times uh, Bigfooters don't use it at all. <laughs> so. <laughs> There's like, there has to, I don't know that there's, I don't know that we could call it a middle ground because I'm not advocating not using the scientific method at some point. I'm just saying, 
I get the I get the reaction of some Bigfooters where it's like, okay, quit, quit with that. Like, we get it. I understand what the scientific method is. I might not utilize it at all times, but I'm aware of what it is and how it works. And yeah, and I would be willing to entertain, you know, the idea of sort of a, a massive data gathering, you know, is essential. Like the thing I keep thinking about, obviously, I suppose, is uh, track casts. You know, that there's there's people who have rather large collections of casts, and some of you know, in some cases, there many of them have been obtained by that individual. Um, the the really interesting question, I think, that's not always clear, is what is the prediction that you're making uh, based on the tracks themselves, and is it does it transcend the idea of uh, you know the prediction is that there is a um, an ape-like hominid creature walking around North America? You know, is it more specific than that? And I think in some cases, you know, you you hear some folks who, who deal with that stuff a lot, and they do have some rather specific things to say about what they find in the tracks. You know, the the whole mid-tarsal break and so forth. Um, but I just think, yeah, you know, it, it does become an easy way to, in a blanket statement, sort of discredit um, the entire search uh, for Bigfoot and you know, say, well, you're not following the scientific method at all. On the other hand, to say, we, you know, we're not using it. But then, you know, you think of the, the biggest names in the field, uh, John Green being one that springs to mind immediately. I mean, he he was very intent and uh, he, he very much desirous of getting scientific acknowledgement. And I think he did understand that in order to do that, you do have to have a modicum of, uh, you know, scientific understanding of what would what would a scientist be looking for? You know, uh, replication of results. Mm hmm. You know, can you can can you continue to produce these results over and over again? Um, some some of it comes down to how the Bigfooter portrays themselves as well. If I mm -hmm. mean, like I was using that was essentially what I was getting at with the BFRO thing. If you were going to portray yourself as a serious scientific researcher, I'm I'm an armchair reach not armchair. I'm an amateur researcher. I'm going out there, but I'm I'm scientific in my approach. You have to utilize the scientific method yes otherwise you're just a joke like i mean you're you're no mm -hmm. different from the guy that's out there just banging on trees at night and that guy's fine as long as he's saying i'm just a guy that goes out and tries to have an interaction sure sure yeah absolutely and i think you can even call yourself a researcher i, I i'm comfortable with that but you know the moment that you start to talk about we you know we're scientific in our approach which I've heard some people say, you know, live and in person, mm -hmm. um, then you better be able to back that up by, you know, producing. And, and here's the thing. You can, you can come up with a hypothesis and test it and be proven wrong. Uh, the scientific method does not necessarily mean that I predicted it, I tested it, and it, was, it happened. It was true. I mean, you're, you're being just as scientific when you make a prediction, you test it, and it comes out, you know, negative, right. if you will. Right. Uh, but at least make that attempt, and I think that's really, I guess, where I stand on the thing, is if you are going to claim a type of scientific approach, then you do need to produce the whole stream, uh, you know, from 
here's the questions I asked, here's the, the hypothesis I came up with, here's the tests that I did, here was the results, and, and you know, maybe it didn't, it didn't turn out the way I thought, but mm. at least produce that information. And I don't, I don't see that in a, in a whole lot of places, you know, where a whole lot of blogs see? or websites. Yeah. Where do you see that? Where do I see that? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Um, that's a good question, isn't it? Where do you, where do you see that? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess the closest thing to that would be, um, maybe the writings of guys like John Bendernagel. Um, okay. But like, I'm talking from, from, uh, do you see that at all in an organizational standpoint? I mean, I've got, I've got an example. I didn't want to bring it up just cause I go back to it, but the Wachita project yeah. monograph would be sure. to me, that is very much a scientific paper. Um, mm-hmm. And I I have to uh, take the bullet on this one. I have not made made it the entire way through it yet, but that's also mm-hmm. my time is limited. It's like a, how much two hundred pages or four hundred? It's just, it's obscenely yeah. long. It's a it's a very detailed, um, stringent scientific approach to the search for Bigfoot. Now, having said that, I don't know. Maybe maybe BFRO does stuff like that. Maybe it's behind closed doors. I'd be I'd love to know. I mean, I. I I don't want to bag on the BFRO because I know guys that are in the BFRO who I love, um, and I and I know those guys are are. I mean, both of us know Mark Mazel. That guy is serious. He's scientific as far as I've seen. Uh, mm-hmm. The same goes for like Jim Sherman and and Mark DeWorth. Those guys are all BFRO. So I know they yeah. do it. I'm just not sure what kind of organizational push there is for actually approaching this thing from a scientific method right. standpoint. You know. Yeah. Well, and I guess one of the points that kind of is surfacing for me as we talk this through is that just because you measure a track find or put stuff in a bag and take it back home with you, that that's, doesn't mean it's scientific. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't. There's much more work to be done besides just collecting the data. And that's part of it. You know, that's a necessary part of testing your hypothesis, but... Um, I don't know. I think it's just, again, it's a sort of a rigorous method and, um, it's hard to talk about too. I'm realizing cause like we yeah. are, because it, I, I almost feel like the guys that, uh, like sports commentators, like it's mm-hmm. really easy for a couple of guys to sit back and say, well, you're not doing this right. Sure. <laughs> um, when we're not, cause like I don't actively go out and search for Bigfoot and I don't actively find evidence, but I think at the same time we're, we're more so what we're doing is commenting on the, the, um, possible, uh, either dishonesty or misunderstanding of some people about following the scientific method. Sure. So sure, and just being being careful about applying a label to yourself um, that you may or may not, you know, actually be doing, mm-hmm. and and not out of malicious intent or anything, but just and see the net effect is it's it's very easy not for a, a skeptic per se or a, a Bigfoot agnostic. But for just a, a regular scientist to say, uh, this approach, you know, there, where, where is the science here? Because I don't see the process being worked. I see some types of evidence gathered, but what are you saying about it? You know, mm-hmm. what are the claims? Show me, show me the way in which you've worked through the process. And I, that's where, you know, like you said, I mean, it, it, it's not that it's not being followed but producing the information that shows that the process is being followed, I think is, is severely lacking. Right. 
I agree. Um, let's let's wrap this up. Final final thoughts on science and scientific method and me. I think kind of what you touched on in some of your earliest comments, Seth, is is perceptive. And what I mean by that is that the it is very much possible for you and you know friends and like-minded guys and gals to go out in the woods and kind of do some things that suggest that you're looking for Bigfoot and trying to you know get a response from these elusive mysterious creatures and all of that's fine it's it's fun it is a cool thing to do I wish I could do it more I know you probably feel the same way mm-hmm. but you have to be very careful the minute that you claim scientific legitimacy because you know whether you are comfortable with it or not there is a scientific process that is what science is made of you know and science isn't just collecting stuff it isn't just measuring stuff but it's making educated guesses with what you find and i i would just encourage all of the people who are doing the hard work of going out there and coming up with questions and fielding hypotheses among themselves and then testing those uh, to be a little bit more forthcoming in your process with folks like us who are are mostly observers. You know, uh, whether you believe so or not, we are pretty interested in the questions that you ask and how you arrive at answers. And I think it, you know, uh, you just have to be very careful. Once again, I, I guess I'd keep circling back to this you have to be very careful if you put on the mantle of uh i'm using a scientific approach if you're saying that then by all means please investigate what the scientific method is and utilize it in um, the questions that you ask and the answers that come back to you Join the conversation at facebook.com slash sasswhat. Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at Seth Breeds Love. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswhatmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. I mean, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, there's this guy, uh, Bill Brand, who investigated the Abair stuff in '76. Um, I think he said the next day. So he's going to be in the movie. We're interviewing him there. He's also helping. He's kind of like a Ron Schaffner, the way Ron Mm -hmm. Schaffner was on Minerva Monster, with like, um, all this evidence and stuff, and bring you know eyewitness sketches and all that stuff. This guy's got tape. Tape interview, taped interviews with like a lot of the witnesses. Whoa, okay, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm hoping to be able to use some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it'll be very different from Minerva. It's going to be 
I think tonally it might be similar in tone, but there's a, there's, I'm trying to figure out a way to do this, but, um, I don't want to give away cause I'm actually recording right now. I don't want to give away oh, okay. the, <laughs> the plot device or the story, the way I'm going to tell this story, but there, <clears throat> there's actually a chance we might be in the movie. Not like, not like, um, I'm trying to think of something to compare it to, like documentary-wise. I just watched this Sriracha documentary, and it would be, I guess, similar to that. Um, I typically hate any time a filmmaker inserts themselves into a documentary, mm-hmm. um, so I got to find a way to do it uh, without it being uh, like intrusive. Um, but it's something I wanted to play around with at some point, and if mm-hmm. Whitehall is a short, I think we'll be able to do it there. But we'll see. 